0: Probably three to four weeks ago, and I have been trying to forget it, because it confronts many things in my life, and for the life of me, I have not been able to. So rather than run away from it, I decided to study it and preach it to you guys. So I hope that the Lord will do some really cool stuff. Matthew chapter 25, it's going to start in verse 14. We're not going to start right at the beginning of the chapter. Matthew 25, verse 14. Anybody still need a Bible? Everybody good in that regard? Cool, what we're going to do is I'm going to pray, or before I pray, we're going to read the parable, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dive into it. Matthew chapter 25 begins in verse 14. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came His Lord said to him, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. "'You have been faithful over a few things. "'I will make you ruler over many things. "'Enter into the joy of your Lord.' "'Then he who had received one talent "'came and said, "'Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, "'reaping where you have not sown, "'and gathering where you have not scattered seed. "'And I was afraid and went "'and hid your talent in the ground. "'Look, there you have what is yours.' But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, Even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you excited for the study of your word. Excited to learn what it is that you said through your son and what you want to say tonight to each of us. I pray that your word would be what lasts in our hearts, that it wouldn't be what I say, that it wouldn't be an impression that I leave, but that it would be your word spoken by the power of your spirit changing us to be more like your son Jesus. We look to you tonight. We know that you want to do great works, and we thank you for the work that you're going to do this evening. And it's in the great name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. They say that men should not cry during movies. And if this is you, like, if you're that guy and you're, like, secretly embarrassed about that, this is no knock on you. I was just never that guy. I was never a guy where, like, I would watch something and it would make me terribly emotional. I was never really a crier during movies. That was until Will Smith came along. For whatever reason, he just, like, has this deep, real connection with me. Because there were, like, four or five Will Smith movies in a row that I watched where not, I wasn't just, like... Little tears, like be okay. I was like secretly sobbing, like looking away from the film, looking at my feet. My friends are around me, like what are you doing? Like go away. Will gets me. Like I was just a mess. And and some of them I'm not embarrassed about. Like I'm not embarrassed that I cried during the Pursuit of Happiness. Like if you ever seen that movie, if you make fun of anybody for crying for that, you just have no soul. I mean that is that is a heart tug of all heart tugs. I'm not ashamed that I cried during I Am Legend. I mean that was just freaky. Not, not even when the dog died. That was the thing. Like, everyone was like freaking out when the dog dies. How about the fact that five billion people die at the first plot of that movie? Like, that was a big deal to me. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm the only one. I am not even ashamed that I cried during Seven Pounds. That's a little more obscure of a movie. It didn't get quite as much fame, but it's this big deal. It's super deep about meaning and, a, and emotion and caring and giving. But, but there's one in particular that I am horribly ashamed that I cried during, I cried during Hitch. <laughs> this is a safe place, we can talk about this stuff. I cried during Hitch and there's one scene in particular, it wasn't like the whole movie where I'm just like, ah, just do it, Will, like that's not, that's not what happened, but the one scene in particular that really, really got to me, it was the speed dating scene. If you've ever seen this movie, Will Smith, Yes, we're going to talk about this. Will Smith is sort of like a date doctor, and so guys that don't know how to talk to girls come and hang out with him, and Will Smith turns them into Casanovas, and New York continues in Blissful Romance. And so there's one scene where Will Smith is in this speed dating moment, and he looks at this one girl, and they're having this heated exchange back and forth, and he looks at her, and he slams his fists on the table, and he says, I do what I do, because why do guys need to have a plan? And he gets super heated. I'm like, Will... And he's like, why do guys need to have a plan? Because guys just want to go out and do it. His whole job in that movie revolves around the idea that it is more painful to not obtain something because you didn't try than to not obtain something because you failed. That's the whole premise of his job. He's trying to pump guys up so that they can get into the game and at least try so that they can at least give a shot, they can go down swinging, rather than remaining in quiet frustration, feeling like they don't know what to do. You see, today we live in an age of comparison. If you want to find out what a good singer sounds like, you're a YouTube search away. If you want to find out what beautiful is, you're three commercials away from having the whole idea of American beauty. If you want to find out what a good football player is. You just jump on Sports Center, and you know in 10 seconds. And so we live in this age where we compare everything about ourselves to everybody in this world. And what it has produced in many of us is a fear that what we have is not good enough. It's produced in us a fear that, you know what, maybe it really is better to not try. Maybe it really is better, if I don't try, I can never fail. And maybe that can provide some comfort to us. When we look at this parable, though, that notion of I'd rather not try is challenged directly by what Jesus would tell us about the story with these three different servants. In verse 14, this story begins and it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Now this parable is coming in in a big flow of Jesus speaking to His disciples. And before this segment, He's talking about the end of the age. He's talking about how there will be wars and rumors of wars, and this is how you will know that the end is near. And they begin to ask Him these questions about well, well, when is this stuff coming? And what's it going to be like? And all of these different things. And so now, He's preparing them for that. Right before this, we get another parable about preparedness about being ready for the coming of Christ, here we get a parable about how we get ready, about how we remain ready, about how we stay useful in the kingdom of God. We see it says, for the kingdom of God is like this. This is a parable to describe to us the right way the kingdom of heaven works. And when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, we're not saying when we one day see God face to face. One preacher defined the kingdom of God as the place where God reigns. So if God reigns in your life, you are a part of the kingdom of heaven. This parable is a description of the proper way the kingdom of heaven works. And as it's telling us this, it begins with, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. As we're talking about these servants that have the goods delivered to them, it's a very short sentence It's really quick. It doesn't seem like it communicates a lot of emotion. But what I would argue is that in this opening, there is mercy upon mercy upon mercy. Because we see two things. We see that these people that the master calls are nothing but servants. These are people to be bought and sold. These are people to be traded. These are people that don't present any value of their own. And so they are forced to work in a household of value. These are people that do not present what the world finds attractive, that do not present what the world finds beautiful, what the world finds smart and worthwhile. These are not those types of people. These are servants who are paid and employed by another. And the master calls them his own servants and then delivers to them his own goods. What what I first want you to see tonight there are four parts to this message there's the treasure being given, there's the treasure being grown. There's the rewards being handed out. And then there's the dealings with the wicked servant. What I would argue from this opening bit is that all of us have been given some measure of talent. And what is incredible about this, what is beautifully merciful about this, is the people that this master delivers his own goods to have first been called by his own name. They are his servants. They are ones that he has brought in. They are ones that he has dealt with kindly with God gives to us but under two conditions he gives to us once we are his once he's called us by his name once he has brought us near and he gives to us of his own goodness and of his own treasure the servants are not simply being told here's some random guy's money the master is sitting down and he's saying guys I'm delivering my own goods over to you now I'm giving you my own money. I'm giving you the treasure of my own namesake. This is exactly what our God does. Throughout this parable, we will compare the Master with God because it's how Jesus would want us to interpret this parable. This is God giving to His own people. In 2 Peter chapter 1, it would tell us in verses 3 and 4 that His divine power, the power of God, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which we have been uh, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust you see in the parable money is given over in our lives god gives us The ability to take part in his nature. You see, the commands of God are not random rules that God throws together. The commands of God are God saying to us, I want you to be like me. You're my kids. I want you to imitate me. The commands are not do this because God wants you to. The commands are do this and in doing so be like God. And God has delivered over to us talents and abilities to enter into that ourselves and to draw Others to it. While it seems like the servants are simply being given a task, we need to realize this is a task that they don't deserve. This is a task that seemingly they do not have the ability for. If the master simply came to them and said, Here, go make money for me, they'd be like, We're servants, we don't don't do that. You know, we need you to hand over something to us so that we can go and make money, so that we can go and trade, so that we can go and be of use and of profit to you. And so the master says, I will give you what you need. I will give to you who are mine. And he does that in verse 15. It says, And to the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Now we only see three servants, and we're not told that these are the only servants this master has. We're not told that The master brought all three of his servants together. But what we do see is in this story, every servant we see gets equipped. Every servant we see is given something. And yes, they're given different amounts, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But first of all, see this. As servants of God, if you've believed on Christ, I believe Christ has called you then to serve him with all you have. As servants of God, do you see yourself as equipped? Do you see yourself as having been given something that you can use for the glory of God? Because I believe through the scriptures we find that each and every one of us have been given talents and abilities and spiritual giftings that God wants to see us use. He's given us pieces of his great plan for salvation and for the sanctification of his people. He's made us a part of that. He's gifted each and every one of us. And the, as we see this part of the parable, it's easy to think that the one with five talents is the one the master loves, and the one with one talent is the one the master just kind of deals with but secretly hoped that he would just go away. Like, we don't see where it's like the master's giving the five and the two, and then the third guy shows up and is like, what's going on, master? And he's like, oh... This guy, really? Like, we don't see that. He called them all in. He gives to each of them. Each one of us has been equipped in one way or another. The reason we don't always see that is because we quickly turn to comparison rather than enjoyment. We quickly turn to comparison rather than enjoyment. Imagine being the guy with the one talent in this moment. Actually, before we keep going, the term talent it's not like was given like an ability like, you can catch a football now. Like that's not the talents that are being given out or a good voice or something like that. Talents were a monetary term back then, and each talent is really significant. Estimates vary as to what a talent would turn to in today's money, but every estimate I saw was over a thousand dollars. So the guy who's been given one talent, though it is lesser than what the guy with two talents has been given, or what the guy with five talents has been given, He hasn't been given chump change. He hasn't been given nothing at all. He's been given something that he can make good use of. And what we're called to do then is use that however we can to stop with comparisons. It's easy for the guy with the two talents to say, you know, that guy's better. That guy's um, stronger or greater. That girl is more talented than I am, has more natural ability I guess that means I shouldn't use what I have. The world only wants the best. The world only wants the brightest. The world only wants the most beautiful. But what we see is the servants are called to use what they are given because each was given according to his own ability. Commentator Adam Clark would say the talent each man has suits his own state best. And it is only pride and insanity, which lead him to desire and envy the graces and talents of another. What we see when we think about comparisons, it's not necessarily that you want one thing, it's that you want what you don't have. You know, when I was in high school, I was a worship leader, and so I would play with a couple different guys, and I remember when I would lead worship, I would look at guys like Andy, and I would look at... Uh, Pastor Joel when he was around, and I would look at Pastor Lloyd, and I would say, man, if only I could teach the Bible. And then I watched the Lord do this really cool thing where he pulled me out of worship and he started transitioning me towards teaching, and he's given me opportunity and after opportunity, and now I show up to cool things of worship, and I'm like, man, if only I could play worship again. And like, all I want is what I don't use right now. It's not that I want any one thing in particular, it's that I want what I don't have. I see people using talents that I don't have, and I say, God, why didn't you give me anything? I want that one, and then, and then I get that one, and then I look back and I'm like, God, what about that one too? And, and eventually what it turns into is, I want all the talents and I want no one else to have any. That's really what we want when we begin comparing, but what we see is that to compare is to stop using what you've been given. To compare is to stop using What the Lord has delivered over to you. Now there's something strange at the end of verse 15. It's he he gives over the talents and he just books. The master just seems to go away. There's no instruction? You know, master, you're giving over all these talents. You're giving over all these abilities. What's the deal? Why don't you tell him like what to do with them? He, He doesn't even tell him what to do. He's like, I'm giving these to you. Peace. See ya. Long journey. Like why would there be no instruction? There's no instruction because the master believes that the servants are already equipped to do what they need to do. And in the same way, we may look at our talents and we may look at our abilities and we may look up at the heavens and say, God, what do I do with them? I'm not equipped to use them. But what we fail to remember is what Jesus told us earlier where he says, it is to your advantage that I go away because if I leave, then the helper will come. The greatest instructor on how to use the talents and abilities Christ has given you, if you believe on him, is alive in your heart right now. The greatest guide to using what God has handed over lives inside you and is a prayer away. And so we may feel that we've been abandoned with talents, having no idea how to use them, but there's one who knows, and he sticks closer than a brother. There is one who has the perfect plan, knows it from beginning to end, and is ready and willing to show you how to use the talents that you have. But you have to believe that you've been given them. That's not to say that you figure out your talents and you say, I am great. No. These talents were gifts. These talents were handed over to unworthy servants. But if you don't believe that they're there, you'll never try to do anything with them. So we see the master handing the talents over to the servants. And now we see the servants begin to deal with the treasure that they've been given. In verse 16, it tells us this. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. Now there is no transition in the story. There's no hesitation There's no, the servants sat down together and said, guys, you know, I I think we should try to make more money with the money that we've been given. There's none of that. There's just, and, and so they went. They were given treasure, they went. No in between. This is the natural result. This is the natural product of being given. There's only two implications being made. The first is that they acted immediately, and the second is that they sprung to their hard work. Those two implications are given, that these, these people begin to act immediately and they do it as diligently as they can. One of the details that's very interesting that we don't get in this story is how long the master was away. So we don't know if these servants were working. and It says that they were trading with them, but we don't know what they traded or how they traded. Um, so we don't know whether they were working at this for, for hours, for days, for months, or for years. It only tells us that he went on a long journey. And so we don't know the specifics. We see that there's hard work and immediate action involved. With the gifts and talents in our lives, the goal should be to produce more of what God has already given. Now, I'm not saying that we should take whatever's in our lives and try to produce more of it. If there's sin in your life, God is not hoping that you produce more sin. But where there's spiritual giftings, where there's abilities, where there's gifts of compassion and And generosity and teaching and admonishment and all of these different things, what the Lord would want us to do is the Lord would want us to take what has been given and do everything we can to produce more of it. Because you see, these servants in their master's house, what is precious is money. The master, clearly the relationship that he has with the servants is a monetary relationship. It's an economic relationship. Well, with us... The relationship that we have with God is about the changing of our nature. It's about making us to be like him so that we can experience everything that he is. We're called to take what we've been given and produce more of it, but too many of us don't. Verse 18 talks about that. It says, but he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Now, it's not immediately apparent why he hides. It's not told to us in that specific moment why he goes and hides the talent that he's been given. But for many of us, we know the talents that we've been given, and we know that we hide them. And I think there's a few reasons why. I think there's a combination of a few things. Some of us, we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid that we're going to use our gifts, we're going to use our ability, and people are just going to laugh at us. You're going to be like, nope, we don't want that around no, you wanna, you know, you have a gift of teaching. You wanna tell me about the Bible? No, get out of here. You you have a gift of encouragement. Don't encourage me. I'm good enough on my own. I don't need you. You wanna be generous? Who do you think you are? You think you're better than me? Why are you doing that? We're, sometimes we're afraid that we'll be rejected, or you know, we want to serve and worship, and we're like, I, I have a voice, and you're afraid that everyone's gonna be like that. We all hate. So so stop it. You know, we're afraid of that. We're afraid of of failure that we'll go out and we'll give it our best shot and everybody at the end of whatever we've done will have to come up to us and say, well, it was interesting. Like like we're afraid that we're going to run into that moment. We're afraid of humiliation, that in that moment we're just going to feel so down on ourselves and we're going to wonder if we're ever going to be able to pick ourselves back up again. We're afraid of, of simply being different than other people. You know, it's easy to look at somebody else's gift and somebody else's ability that's been accepted, that's been praised for it, that's been thanked for it, and say, I want to be that guy, instead of, I want to use what God has given over to me. There's all sorts of reasons we hide our talents. But we need to remember that there's a day coming where we will give account for what we did with our talents. In verse 19, it says, After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Have you ever had a bad report card that you knew was coming? Isn't that the worst feeling of your life? There was one time, honestly, I had a bad report card that was coming, and so I took it and I hid it, and I was so guilty over that, I threw up that night. No joke, that's a real story, that happens. Like, we have these moments where we know that there's judgment coming, we know that there's some retribution that's coming our way, and we do everything we can to hide from it, because we know we didn't do what we were supposed to. We know we didn't handle our business before, So we're going to try and sneak our way out of our business now. We know that we didn't make good on the opportunity that we were given. So we're going to try to make anybody forget that we were given the opportunity at all. We're going to pull the card away. We're going to pull the account away. We're going to try to do everything we can to pull away that moment. But when the master comes back, there is nothing stopping him from asking about his talent. There's nothing that's going to stop him from saying, so my servant, what did you do with what I gave you? He gave it to us. He's super interested in what happens with it. It's the master's money. It's the master's ability. It's the master's gifting to his servant. He's going to want to know. He's going to be interested with what we did with it. And there is a great reward for some and a great penalty for others. In verse 20, we begin with seeing the servants that are rewarded. And so in verse 20, it says, so he... He who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, we would think if, if I were to hand over a thousand bucks to you and you were to go out and make a thousand more bucks, You would think that when you brought those back to me, I would be like, well done, you master of business. Well done, you brilliant mind. Well done, you person who profits me. But instead, the servants are only praised for two things. They're praised for their goodness, and they're praised for their faithfulness. How do they display both of those things? Well, this first servant who takes the five and makes five more, he displays his goodness by being more concerned with the goods of the master than with the work it will take to get there. The the servant's goodness is shown in my master has given me something I do not deserve and I want to make the most of it. I want to care for it as best as I can. I want to treat it so well that it becomes something even more valuable for the blessing of my master. Now it stands to reason that this servant could have just as easily gone out and made the money and, and taken the five other talents and said, Master, you know, I, I went out and I did business and I was doing good for a while, but, you know, Master, things happen. You know, the economy fluctuates. The market up, goes up and down. I have, I have six talents for you, but that's all that I have. And he could have kept four more back. He could have done all of that. But instead, he says, Master, you gave. Here is yours. Now, here's something he doesn't do with it. He doesn't take the money that he made... And say, master, now I've created five more talents out of this. And, and here's how I did it. And here's how I think you should use them. Here's what you should do with these, oh, wise master. Because look, I, I'm a great servant. I did so many cool things for you. Look at the five talents I gave you. If, you. if you put three of them here and if you put two of them there, there's no financial report that's given. There's you gave to me. Master, here are yours. This is all yours. There's complete surrender of the ability. There's complete surrender of what made this servant able to serve in the first place. And there's the display of goodness in him. The display of faithfulness is the diligence to see the increase happen. You know, we know that it is a long journey, and and if talents are as valuable as we think they are, I don't think that he's gaining five more in like three hours. He's not going out like, anybody want to like give me money? Like a lot of it, that'd be super cool. Like We don't see how that's how this servant makes that money. Instead, we see that there is a diligent work being done. Honing the abilities God gave you is hard work. But the result for this servant is the master saying, enter into the joy of your master. Not well done, servant. Get out of here. Not well done, servant. Here's your paycheck. Enter into the joy of your master. Your master. And it's a sentence that he's going to say again. In verse 22, it tells us He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You see, when we're trying to figure out how the Lord will reward us for the talents that we've used, it works on percents, not totals. You know, the master doesn't come in and say, servant with two, why are there only two here? That guy gave me five. That guy gave me so much more than you. What were you doing this whole time? There's none of that. The same sentence, word for word, the same sentence he says to the servant with five, well done, good and faithful servant, is the same exact thing that he says to the guy with two. Because the reward, because the acceptance, because the plea, the, the, the pleasure that the master finds in this servant is based on the goodness and the faithfulness of what was delivered over to him. Maybe you feel like you've been given five talents in a room with people given 50. God isn't expecting you to make 100. God's expecting you to work on what you've been given. He's not looking for you to do what other people have been given. He's not looking for you to equal what other people have done. He's looking for you to take what's been handed over to you and use it well. He's looking for goodness. And he's looking for faithfulness. And when he doesn't find it, stuff starts to go down. In verse 24 it tells us, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there, you have what is yours. Now this servant has a very particular image of his master, that he's a hard-driving man, that he takes where he, he wants and he does all this. Let's ask this simple question. Where did he get that perspective? The other two servants don't bring it up. The fact that the master was willing to hand over his goods actually paints the master in a very generous light. The fact that the master is willing to hand over his goods and leave and go away and trust them completely with them, we see a very generous master in this parable. You see, this servant has a poor perspective of his master. And it drove him to fear, and it drove him to run. And in the same way, when we have a poor perspective of our God, it drives us to the same two things. Rather than saying, thank you, Lord, for handing anything at all over to me. I want to do what I can with it. When we have this poor perspective of God, that he's a harsh, driving taskmaster, it drives us to say, I, I don't want to fail. I don't want to ruin God's plan. I don't want to, don't want to lose what God gave me. I, I might as well just run away from it. I might as well simply just not do anything with it. And the master is going to give good perspective. He says in verse 26, But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received my own back with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. When the master says this, he's really saying, okay, if this is who you believed me to be, wouldn't you have at least done this with it? If this was your perception of me, if that was what really motivated you to hide this talent, you would have at least thrown it in a bank. You would have at least tried to get me some interest. You would have at least tried to do the safe thing with my money while still giving me some sort of increase. The servant is rejected on two grounds, his wickedness and his laziness. He's wicked because he doesn't care for the master's goods. The master has handed something over to him and he says, eh, I don't nah, don't really want to. I don't want to work it at moving here and there. I don't want to work at profiting my master. I just want to make sure that I still have my standing with my master when he gets back. I just want to be okay. I don't want to do anything praiseworthy, but I don't want to lose it. I don't want to lose my standing. I just want to stay just where I am. And in, and in doing that, he shows disregard for the goods of the master and shows a selfishness that makes the master call him wicked. And he calls him lazy because there's no diligent work being done. As the other servants were faithful in working to multiply the goods, this servant is lazy and runs from it. And what's interesting is this. It's very possible that the work he did to dig the hole, to put the talent in, was actually more work, or at least comparable, to what the other two servants had to do to trade it anyway. In trying to be lazy, in trying to satisfy his own desires, did he really gain anything? Did he really get out of diligent work? Did he really get out of something? He had to fuel his own laziness. He had to put the effort in to be lazy. He gains nothing, and the master takes from him. This parable concludes in verses 29 and 30. It's saying, For everyone who has, or for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, is this to say that if you don't use what the Lord has given you, God's going to cast you away? No, it's not that we have to earn our salvation. It's not that these servants are welcomed into the joy of the master because they've worked for it, but rather the lazy servant who doesn't care for the master's goods shows that he was never a servant at all. The servant who doesn't do anything saying, I want to benefit my master, who's benefited me, that servant shows he was never truly a servant. He was a servant in name, but never in deed. When we hide our talents rather than use them, we hide a small piece of God's plan for saving the world. When we hide what God has handed over to us, we hide a small bit of what God wants to use to make his church pure. We hide the nature of God from the world because we're not good, because we don't care for the good of the kingdom of heaven or because... We're not faithful, and we don't want to put in the diligent work. I don't know about you guys, but when I reach the end of my life, I don't want to die from a heart attack. I don't want to die in my sleep. I want to die from exhaustion. I want to preach my last message. I want to walk outside, and I want to fall over dead because I have nothing left. I want to run with such diligence that I don't get to heaven saying, God, if only I could have talked to that person one more time. If only I could have done this. I want to get to heaven and have to take some really deep breaths. I want to get there and say, God, I had nothing left. I want my first words to God to be, I'm sorry, that's all I had. That's what I want to say to my God. I want to try to take whatever he's given me. I don't know whether it's five or two or one. I don't care to figure out which it is. I just want to make the most of it. Because for the servant who makes much, what he finds is that his master says, enter into my joy. Enter into who I am. I want to give you what's best. We should be running ourselves to exhaustion because the grace of our master is ridiculous. The fact that this master would give over his own money to his servants is unbelievable. And the fact that God would put a bit of himself into each of us should blow our minds every single day. But the question is, what are we going to do with it? In Colossians chapter 3, this is where I'll end. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus, of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I want everything that I do to be for the sake of God, for the growth of His kingdom, and for His benefit. When we hide what He's given us, we show that we're not His servants at all. It's not that we should read this parable and say, I need to be the one with five. That's not what this parable is about. What it's about is be the servant who takes what you've been given and do whatever you can to multiply it so that when you see your master face to face, you can give him all that he's given you and you will be welcomed into his joy. You've each been given abilities. You've each been given talents. What will you do with them? Father, we thank you that each of us has been gifted, that each of us has been given abilities and talents and resources that you call us now to use for your kingdom. And Father, there are many of us where fear stops us, where fear of rejection or fear of failure or fear of coming before you at the end of our lives having not done enough. It slows us down, but God, we just want to thank you for the fact that you gave us the talents at all. And when we see you as a generous master who's given to us of his own riches, that encourages us to run. Lord, I pray for that the people in this room who have been given gifts and abilities that are not running with them and working with them and trying to multiply them, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them tonight. That you would take away the fear of failure, the fear of shame, the fear of rejection, and that they would run with everything they have to multiply the talents that you've given them. And Lord for the people that have been given talents and are working on them. Pray that you would give them the diligence to keep running, that you would give them the ability to stay faithful, and you would give them your own goodness, that they may be good with what you've handed over to them. Go before the rest of this night, God. We want to be made more like you in it. It's in Jesus' name
1: we pray. Amen. What a. Great, timely message for us as a youth group. Um, so this is what I'm probably thinking that you're thinking. Well, how do I do that? How do I know what my gifting is? What are some practicalities of going about and being diligent with what God has given me? And so what we're going to do is we're going to take some times, uh, time right now for small groups and so, diving you guys up, in freshmen, on this side, guys, girls, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors, all the way in the back, in a second, I um, want you guys to really be thinking about this, on how you can use the gifting that you're given by God. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, you have a, a bigger question. <laughs> uh, who is God? Why should I trust Him? Um, All those different questions, which uh, hopefully we can talk about. If you have any objections, if you have anything that you're, that's kind of like you can't wrap your mind around, we want to take this time to really just go deeper. Um, But really, the the joy of serving the Lord is unlike anything else you will ever experience in this world. And I I talk about that all the time because, uh, as you've heard me share, when you find your true purpose in life. It's like the, the universe is aligned, the stars are aligned, and you know why you were born, you know. Not that your identity is in a gifting, but your identity is in God who has given you a gifting to show you a little bit about himself, as Brian shared tonight. So don't be that servant that buries that talent underneath the ground. Know who you really are. Know what God has made you to be to fulfill your purpose. Your times are in his hand, and so that's what we want to do. So, um... And this time let's do that. So just split up and get in your groups and we're gonna go till nine thirty. Nine thirty sharp please, leaders, please be punctual with that. Nine thirty we're gonna end out. You can move the chairs and you'll allow you to hang out for another hour or so.